we we saw it in the west in the u.s uh on like these cattle ranching rights with the bundies and stuff uh so there's some movement i think to control land either through public nationalization or, or private land buying gates has been buying a lot of land i just feel like this this is fitting together and this is some bigger story going on attacking the food system All right, welcome everybody to Conversations That Matter. I'm your host, Alex Newman, Senior Editor at The New American Magazine. We have a very special guest joining us today, actually a returning guest. Uh, we had him on, uh, I think, last year to talk about his excellent documentary, uh, Planet Lockdown. He did uh, such a great job, interviewed some amazing people to get that done. Uh, and now we've kind of moved out of lockdowns, at least sort of, and now we're into the war on farmers stage where we're going to be, uh, I guess, getting rid of our food producers. Uh, and so now James, uh, he's got his finger on the pulse. He just released a, a new documentary on that called Nitrogen 2000. Uh, he is originally from DC. He's an economist, an investigator, a film director. Uh, he's written numerous books and um, he's got another one in the works that we'll talk about later. But uh, let's dig in to uh, the, the new one, Nitrogen 2000. James, uh, tell us about this. Is there really a war on farmers and what does that mean? Yeah, there appears to be what it looks like, I guess, a restructuring of the food system. Um, in 2020, when we were all locked down, there was huge purchasing um, by huge private asset companies like BlackRock and Fidelity into the food sector. And it looks like they're trying to make a sort of digitized farm of the future with just robots and blockchain and Farmers pushing buttons and robots will plant the seeds and spray the, the fertilizer and the pesticides and, and just kind of corporatize the whole food system. And at the same time, there's lots of land, strange land acquisition schemes and Gates is buying a lot of farmland. And so there's a story in, in Holland where um, basically a third of the country is 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 being nationalized by the state. You're and, talking about the agricultural uh, the land there, huh? Uh, well, 70% of Holland's uh, owned by small cow farmers. So like they, they graze their cows on it and, uh, you know, they make the cheese and the milk. We all know Holland and, and they're moving to, they're proposing to nationalize half of them. So that's 35% of the, the ground mass of Holland, which is, just, it's such a huge story and, um, it's not really getting reported in full. Uh, why are they it doing this? Like, James? What's the agenda? I mean, that's that's the big question. I think it's a restructuring of the food system. And so kneecapping the Dutch farmers um, sort of takes us takes us down that road further. Um, they, they produce eight percent of the or six percent of the food of, the, of Europe. And um, the the cow farm, the, the Dutch farmers are, are very efficient. But this is really focusing on their on the on the cattle. And like globally, we're seeing all this propaganda against cows. Like cows, you know, the burps and the farts of the cows. And then in Holland, they're arguing like it's the nitrogen. And then sometimes they complain about the runoff and things. So there's kind of all these spurious arguments getting promoted in the mainstream press as to why cows are evil and, and why cattle farming is so bad. But um, it re I, I was investigating that, looking into it, and I found uh, that 25% of the earth was was uh, used to to graze cows, graze, graze livestock. 20 25% of the ground cover of the whole planet. And so I think what what's going on is they're they're the powers that be are kind of banding up enough uh hatred of cows and cow farming that that 
that people agree to some sort of land seizures or, or, or the, like it's nationalization scheme in Holland. Um, or like we, we saw it in the West in the US uh, on like these cattle ranching rights with the Bundys and stuff. Uh, so there's some movement, I think, to control land either through public nationalization or, or private land buying. Gates has been buying a lot of land. I just feel like this this is fitting together and this is some bigger story going on attacking the food system. And so what about their arguments? I mean, the, this idea that the methane from the, the cow emissions is going to cause global warming and, and this kind of stuff. Uh, is there any validity to that or is that just a smokescreen? No, I mean, the methane, the methane thing is saying that it'll cause the greenhouse effect. Like it's one of the greenhouse gases, but the, the whole issue with the carbon dioxide is, is a bigger gas. Methane's a smaller one, but the methane, you know, really 95% of the greenhouse effect is water vapor. So most of the, most of the fact, you know, of the remaining 5% of the greenhouse gases that cause uh, the greenhouse effect, if you will, like is, is carbon and the methane and these things. So, but they just always ignore H2O in these models. So it's, it's completely ridiculous to say, if you raise the carbon dioxide or methane levels, you'd, get anything in the, in the, get any, any meaningful change of temperature on the earth. But um, that's why like, you know, after, like if you, after you take a hot shower, the, the steam from your, the humidity from your, your shower will warm up your house, you know, it like, it, 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 it raises temperature when you have water vapor in the air. So like carbon dioxide and methane are much less uh, conductive of heat in, 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 in terms of like, that's what, that's what the greenhouse effect is. But um the, the whole the argument they're making in Holland is completely different. It's that nitrogen is pollution. And that's like uh, nitrogen is 78% of the air we breathe. And it's the main ingredient in fertilizer, you know, like NPK, nitrogen, potassium, phosphate are the three macronutrients uh, for plants. So they're, um, they're arguing that that's pollution and that, that they should severely control it. But what's interesting is like the EU has been regulating nitrogen since since 20 years now since the year 23 years since the year 2000 so this is this this scheme is a long time in the making is what that says this is the, the groundwork for this has been laid 23 years ago in the eu uh legal structure so but we've only been propagandized about carbon in the mainstream media they haven't really talked about nitrogen so i think it's this film has a good opportunity to to blow a hole in that argument so talk to us a little bit about the film, James. Uh, who did you interview? Uh, I guess I'm, I'm sure you went over to Holland. Um, talk to us a little bit about what people mm -hmm. will learn from watching the film. Uh, I interviewed two members of Parliament, who are an architect of the plan and the, an opponent. Um, I interviewed like two leaders of the Dutch, two main Dutch farmers groups, the Farmers Defense Force and Agritzi, and, and also a farmer who has land that's designated as Nature 2000 land. So in 1990, you designated 18% of, of the land mass as protected nature reserve called Nature 2000. And in Holland, there's 162 little plots. So the, everyone's kind of near the Nature 2000 area. So they're arguing the nat nitrogen levels are, are too high, like nitrogen's precipitating from cow farms onto Nature 2000 plots, which is like ridiculous. You know, it's not nitrogen doesn't when a cow takes a dump it doesn't travel in the air five kilometers and then land on a farm so i also interviewed a top government scientist who wrote models who wrote a report debunking the government models you know really contesting that point that nitrogen deposits can travel in the air and just relocate it's they're really saying cow pee and cow dung will will 
are, are going to like precipitate over on these nature 2000 areas and on those protected nature areas they they're saying they want to protect out of 150 common plants 10 10 common plants that are very short and don't need a lot of nitrogen so they're saying if too much nitrogen gets there nettles will grow and give shade on the orchids and and, and we want to protect the orchids so therefore we got to force purchase a, a third of the territory of holland i mean it's 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 like there's no connection it doesn't connect together you know Sounds like a, a ruse or a, a scam to me. Uh, folks, stay with us. We're going to go to break real quick. We'll be right back with more from James on this issue of Nitrogen 2000. And uh, we'll even get a sneak preview of his next documentary. Stay tuned. Imprisonment, forced labor, permanent separation from my family, perhaps death. I knew what could happen to people who were caught trying to defect but the watchtowers stood yards away. The possibility of a new life in a different world, one without tyranny, was within sight. The West. I thought of the rewards no longer crushed under the boot of communism. I would work and make money, no longer restrained by the chains of collectivism. I would say what I wanted, without fear of spies and informants nearby. I would be free. The frozen rain and Romanian mud sipped through my gloves and cloths. I fantasized about a fire burning in the wood stove of my parents' home, but I pushed those thoughts from my mind, closed my eyes, and waited for the cover of the darkness. Get Defector. A True Story of Tyranny, Liberty, and Purpose by Mark Hobovkovich with Paul Dragu. A thrilling page-turner that will remind you how precious yet vulnerable freedom is. Available at shopjbs.org or Amazon. For a limited time, get 20% off your entire order using promo code DEFECTOR20 when you purchase DEFECTOR at shopjbs.org. Welcome back to Conversations That Matter. I'm Alex Newman with the New American Magazine senior editor there. Uh, our guest today is James Patrick. He is a filmmaker, an economist, an investigator. Uh, he did the hit film Planet Lockdown, available in 17 languages at planetlockdownfilm.com. His new film, Nitrogen 2000, focuses on what's happening to the Dutch farmers, what's happening uh, under the guise of controlling nitrogen. Uh, James, before we come back to you, I want to roll just a, a little preview of that film so people can get a sense of it, and then we'll come right back to you. Come then. Come then. Our country is based on agriculture. Why? Need to go. My cows? Why? My farm? Need to close? Everyone has someone in their family who was once a farmer. The manure is in the Netherlands, which is ammonia, which is a, f a form of uh, nitrogen, which is bad for the environment, bad for nature. They have declared that nitrogen is the major problem. Well, I'm an expert in nitrogen, and I dare to say it is not. It's, it's a crock of shit. We are actually discussing waving goodbye to our farmers. 20 years ago, you would not have dreamt that this would have happened. We had a lot of problems with the nitrogen rules, because our farm is near to and in Nature 2000. 
These are hard-working people, they're paying taxes, they've worked their land for sometimes 10, 15 generations. I think the political system, like we have it in the Netherlands now, is totally broken. They are really suffering. Six farmers have actually hanged themselves because of this new policy. Farmers have to reduce the use of, of, of nitrogen. Our government did say we need to uh, reduce 95% uh, of nitrogen uh, in this uh, Nature 2000 area. Our intention is to explain why this is so important for them and for nature, uh -huh. but not to change the goals of the policy. That's not the case. It's not going to happen. They have created a huge problem for themselves and the farmers are now really angry. We're wasting billions and billions on a nightmare. Government has to do what the government has to do sometimes, which is painful. Uh, but there is also 25 billion euro for a small country as the Netherlands uh -huh. to help farmers to get a better life, to help nature, to restore. The facts they use um, are not connecting together. We have a food shortage, a water shortage, an energy shortage. It's, it's catastrophe upon catastrophe. The farmers are targeted, and why are the farmers targeted? Because they have land. They need to build houses, they need to build factories, they have to build highways. They're not even hiding. I think the government is not uh, working for the Dutch people. We're killing our own food supply. You get uh, governments and, and, and politicians who, who know better how to farm than we know how to farm. The main issue here is fear. Once the, the people are, are frightened, you can do whatever you want with them. They're taking away the security. You can't be safe without being free. I, I always say it's better to die fighting uh, than, to, than to sit on your knees. Excellent, James. Thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing that preview. Uh, really looking forward to it. So, who ultimately is behind this? I mean, if you had to say the the individuals, the organizations that are pushing this, you mentioned the European Union and their uh, regulations on this, but who really is pushing this? I mean, I looked at the these NGOs involved with the story and in the employment of the past um, the directors of those NGOs. So. It looks like the same kind of cast of characters, but um, I'll, I'll get right to that. But it, just to explain what's going on is they got six NGOs, about half a dozen NGOs recommending the policy, and they get the government and the people to pay for their budget. So they don't even have to pay to market this whole policy. And they get the government to set up a 25 billion euro fund to buy out the land. And then in many cases, then the NGOs become the custodians of the land that the farmers are kicked off, in many cases, put cows back on the land to manage it. And so it's like they don't have to put, whoever's behind it doesn't have to put a dollar down and they have total control of the land. And so I looked up these these the directors of these six NGOs and what were their prior, prior employment. And two of them were former Chevron executives, which is kind of a Rockefeller oil company. And two were from like tech firms, like Google, Google Europe, Google, you know, uh, they, they, that's kind of ultimately BlackRock, you know? And so then then you got these, oh, the big tech firms were also mentioned. There's an interesting report called Food Barons 2020 that goes over this consolidation of the food industry that was put out last September. Um, it's called Food Barons 2020. You can find this 150 page report 
by this research organization was looking into that. And they were talking about the involvement of big tech and in, in, in kind of streamlining and, and corporatizing the food industry. Um, and then there was also one Dutch banking family, one prominent Dutch banking family that uh, a director had worked at. So it looks like these kind of international banking type characters, you know, Rockefeller, Rothschild, local banking family, and 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 just to kind of move, to clear out the countryside, have the countryside owned more by these NGOs or controlled by these NGOs titled to the state. So it's kind of like what conservatives would call communism, where it's state control of the land, but it's really some oligarchs controlling the situation, controlling the government from behind the scenes. And of course, Klaus Schwab is a huge advocate of this great reset, this transformation of the food supply. And then he goes and brags about how we penetrate the cabinets. And so the government will control the land, we penetrate the cabinets, and uh, everybody's happy except the people losing their land and their freedom. Um, James, how do we resist this agenda? I mean, the Dutch farmers have tried, they've tried hard. You know, they've driven their tractors into the cities. They've sprayed cow poop on the houses of these politicians. Uh, and yet the, the political class and the, the oligarchs behind them are moving forward. Is, is there any way to resist this? I mean, I think ultimately it's 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 we've got to go after the oligarchs. I don't think we can just keep going after their minions and and hope that that changes anything. I mean, you can go after a politician here or there, but it doesn't really get at the meat of the matter. I mean, so, uh, yeah, I think I think more money needs to be put at researching the exact names of these families. I mean, like, I don't know, we always hear Rockefeller Rothschild, but it'd be nice to be a little bit more specific but essentially these people are just hiding behind a myriad of entities and corporations and trusts and and foundations and um but it isn't impossible to to do and to to link back and um uh, i think we got to really go with criminal charges to them for perpetrating these things i mean um the biggest sort of scheme they use is deception or the tool they use is kind of deceiving people and tricking them uh, into doing things that are against their own interests i mean so we really have to kind of, I think, get get back to it and not not let not let the media confuse the matter. And and um, yeah, just I think everyone just needs to stay sane and 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 we need we need good legal legal assistance in kind of going after these people. Yeah. And you know what? If some two bit prosecutor in New York can go after the former president of the United States with criminal charges, uh, I don't understand why some state attorney general or some state attorney in Oklahoma or Texas or Montana or Idaho, you know, why, why don't they bring some of these people in for questioning? Uh, there's a lot of crimes that are being perpetrated. There's certainly a, a nexus with these different states. Um, you know, uh, thank you, Alvin Bragg, for showing us how it can be done. Uh, James, uh, we're almost out of time, but you got a new project in the works that I'm also really excited about. It's about the fertility implications of these COVID injections. Uh, we've actually had many people here on this show, doctors, scientists. Uh, actually, we had a, a wonderful lady who um, was a research scientist. And she was on Rockefeller Grants. They were figuring out how they could use vaccines to control fertility. Uh, and they found various mechanisms. This was back in the, in the 80s and 90s, she told us. Um, talk to us about your, your new project that you're working on. You said it'd probably be out in, in a few months, but uh, just give us a kind of a sneak preview of your findings here. Yeah, everyone can find my work at bigpicture.watch, um, both of these films. And it's the the fertility film is really kind of following, like I'm following women in U.S. and France um, who, who've taken the vaccines and have massive hemorrhaging, menopause at young ages at 30, or having a 
just really, really, I mean, the fertility effects of the vaccines, the way they recommended these shots on pregnant women. Um, and the European medical agencies acknowledge, you know, uh, ab abnormal hemorrhaging is, is, a, is an acceptable side effect but it's not clear if that actually affects fertility. That's what their official position is, you know? I mean, it's just like, it's there's something going on with, with these shots in the fertility levels. I hear from people, their libidos are dropped, that they have menstrual problems. That um, It's just, the, the, if we look, I, I do go back in a bit of the history of these cases too. There was this case in Kenya um, in 2013-14, where they were giving tetanus shots with HCG, they were sterilizing women um, temporarily. And there's a lot of similarities to the COVID case, like the shots every six months, the legal language protecting the ingredients of the vial. You're not allowed to, to analyze the vials without getting criminal charges. Um, so that should just raise a lot of suspicion as to why, why the contents and ingredients of these vials is kept so tightly secret. And and why was the military deploying these shots as counter as countermeasure prototypes, demonstrations by the DOD, not the FDA? Um, and you know, Serum Institute of India produced several billion COVID shots, also produced the Kenya shots. WHO was the inventor of of what they called fertility re regulating vaccines back in the early '70s. So there's a lot of suspicious circumstances around. What we're seeing today, the V-safe data showed a 20% drop or 20% of pregnant women were reporting egregious side effects. So there's, we need to get good analysis of these vials and what's inside them and, 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 and do that randomly and not get, not from samples given to us by these companies. You know? Yeah. I think that's yep. the real solution. What a huge topic, too. And, of course, uh, Dr. Naomi Wolf, who we've had here, has actually looked through, uh, and her and her team have looked through some of these Pfizer documents, Moderna documents. It looks like they knew a lot of this, uh, even while they were telling us it's totally safe and totally effective. Uh, go get your 18 boosters or 19, whatever they're on now. Uh, truly amazing. James, uh, give us the website one more time if people want to watch these films. Where do they find you? At bigpicture.watch. Big picture dot watch. James Patrick, we appreciate so much uh, the work that you're doing. Thank you for joining us today. Honor to have you. Uh, folks, stay tuned to The New American. Go to thenewamerican.com. We've got all kinds of great stuff for you. Go check out these movies that James is putting together and has put together um, and, and share the information out with your friends, your colleagues, your congressmen, your state representatives, your sheriff. Right. Uh, speaking of criminal issues, there's just uh, so much that needs to be done. Uh, thanks again for watching. Alex Newman here, senior editor at The New American. Until next time, God bless you all.